Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. people of the word, people of the kingdom of God, children of God, the truth will set us free. Sometimes, oh, but if I, if I told the truth, that would expose me too much. But you know what? In that exposure becomes great freedom. If I told the truth, you would think less of me. Who are you more concerned about thinking less of you? People or God? We need to be people of the truth. Now, we we talk about that kind of truth, but the thing that John is dealing with here is, is the truth of the doctrine, the truth of the Word of God. As a believer, it's important that you live your life in truth and in love. In today's message from Pastor David, he teaches that a Christian must have both. The world desperately needs the truth found in God's Word. Pastor David encourages you to be a follower of Jesus who knows, abides, and walks in truth. Walking in both truth and love is transformative. Often people avoid truth because it can be hurtful. However, truth helps save people from impending destruction. Walk in truth and in love. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, Walking in Truth. Last week, we actually finished up the book of 1 John, okay? There's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to, though, as we move now into the book of 2 John. 2 John, a very short book, only 13 verses in the book. Between 2 John and 3 John, it's kind of a tie as far as which one is the uh, smallest one. To read it would only take, gosh, a, a couple of moments but we're going to take a little bit longer than that as we kind of look through it. First of all, some scholars look at 2 John and they believe that 2 John is actually the kind of the cover letter for 1 John. That uh, though we have them listed here as 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, they were put in that order as these letters came, as they were pulling the Bible together. It was not titled by John as the second epistle of John. You need to understand that. One of the, some of the reasons why some think that 2 John is kind of the cover letter to 1 John is 2 John actually starts out the way that uh, most ancient letters began, stating, first of all, who it was that was writing the letter. And even though here we don't really see a, a name, we see the title, The Elder, instead of a name, and we'll take a look at that a little bit later as we get in. But at least there's this direction, which we don't see in First John. Secondly, we see it's also stated to whom the letter is addressed. And again, not necessarily a name, but again, he uses titles to the 
elect lady or the chosen lady and her children. And again, we'll look at that in a moment too, get a little bit deeper into that. And by way of the opening remarks that uh, are given here to the letter, there's a blessing that's given for the uh, intended recipient of the letter. You can look there, verse 3 of Second John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. They say that Second John could be a cover letter for First John because First John doesn't have any of that. First John just kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it hits the ground running right there. And it's kind of like, where, where did he begin? I mean, is there something that we're missing with? Second John, starting out like a customary letter, and we look at First John, no introduction, no addressee, no initial blessing given at all. Some even think that, well, if Second John isn't the cover letter for First John, then maybe there's a part of First John that's missing that we've never been able to get, Some somehow possibly got lost somewhere along the way. Well, having said all of that, there's actually a clue in Second John that would actually bring us the other way to say that maybe it's not really the cover letter for First John, but it's pretty much a letter unto itself. Just take a quick look at that with me, and it's down in verse 12 of Second John. Verse 12 of Second John. John writing here, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. And the writer seems to be saying pretty much, uh, this is all I'm going to write to you at this time because I'm going to come see you later. So there would not be more. In other words, that would not be a cover letter for First John. Even then, some scholars feel that maybe perhaps even as he wrote, Second John ended it that way. Perhaps something came up that he was not able to travel. And so he actually wrote First John, kind of attached it to Second John to go that way. Again, all of that is speculation totally. As far as the letter itself, when we look at the introduction of Second John, we're met with this unknown identity. He declares himself to be the elder. Now, the elder, it could be like a, a term of endearment, uh, talking about the old man. Hey, this, this is the old man calling, you know, writing to you, so pay attention. Or, as we believe that it really is, actually it's a title of some great respect, uh, one of the overseers of the church, just like we see within the New Testament, the elders. Personally, that's what I believe it is. Again, him taking that stand, that declaration, that understanding, he is one of the elders, one of the overseers of the church. As far as the ancients, you know, the early church fathers, they looked at this letter and nearly all across the board, they believe that it is John the Apostle that wrote this. Though his name is not in 1 John, his name is not in 2 John, or even in 3 John. But they look at it and it's come down through the years as again being written by John the Apostle. John was the youngest of the apostles during the earthly ministry of Jesus. And it turns out that uh, of the 12 original apostles, John is the one who actually lived the longest, and he actually died as an old man of natural causes. All the rest of them lost their life. They were martyred for the faith. Not that they didn't try to kill John, 
Because again, tradition tells us that uh, John was sentenced to be boiled in a big vat of oil. They actually immersed him in the oil, but yet he came out unharmed from that. Again, tradition tells us that John lived on uh, from that uh, on into an old age, pastored the church at Ephesus, very possibly dying around the year of A.D. 98. So we have John the Elder, and he is truly an elder at the time he's writing, both in age as well as in his position. And he's writing to the elect or the chosen lady and her children. And again, there is no real name there. So who is he writing to? Most scholars look at that feel he was writing to a particular church at that point in time. With his connections with the church there of Ephesus, some believe that he was writing this letter to the Ephesian believers there. One of the reasons for the anonymity of of this whole thing, of not giving his name, not giving the name of the church, was, again, because of this continued persecution. He could write this letter without putting his name on it if everybody knew he was going to be writing the letter. Just recently this week, Bob and Joanne just got back from uh, Mexico. If they had contacted me and said, hey, we're going to be sending you a letter to tell you all about what's going on in Mexico, but they didn't sign their names, and we got a letter that was telling us all about what was going on back here or down here, never the mention of Mexico, never the mention of Bob or Joanne's name, we would understand, oh, that came from Bob and Joanne. They're talking about what's going on down at Calvary Chapel in Mazatlan. And we would all be wishing that we were down there with them enjoying the time. So when, when we look at a letter like this, with, without a name, without a clear statement of who it's going to, you have to deal with a lot of speculation from those of the past that have taken this and they understand, and so we move forward with that. Now today, unfortunately, there is what's called higher criticism. Higher criticism, unfortunately, way too many times, they try to just slice and dice the Bible up for no other reason than to destroy the validity of the Word of God. And there's no reason to, when we look at this, to say, no, I don't believe that John wrote that. I don't believe uh, you know, what, what he's saying there was him. All that's there, all that's in there is strong and true. The persecution that was going on also comes with the situation of all these false teachers, these false prophets that were moving within the church circles at that point in time too. Another issue that the church was having to deal with. And as he writes here, we see him also touching on those areas. Nothing can be certain, but it would appear that he was familiar enough with the intended addressee, the the ones that were receiving this, some of the congregation. Actually, apparently he knew some of them personally. Look in verse 4, what he says here. He says, I rejoiced greatly when I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. So with the accepted understanding by most scholars, most New Testament teachers, what we have here is John the Apostle. He's writing a short note to a particular church, the elect lady and her children, and again, very possibly the church at Ephesus. One other thing, the shortness of this letter would have actually allowed them to write the entire thing on one sheet of papyrus. Again, that's how short this is. Make it very easy to carry 
again, if there's persecution, to be able to sneak that through whatever trials and situations they might run into. The content of the letter goes right along with a lot of what was written in 1 John. He warns against the Antichrist. He warns against false teachers. He warns against those that were teaching against the deity of Christ. There's also instruction that they need to be obedient to the commands of the Lord and insisting upon following that command that's all throughout 1 John, that idea of loving one another. He hits that again here in 2 John. Speaking of truth, speaking of love, these seem to be kind of a recurring theme throughout um, all three of these epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So let's look at the opening verses here. The book of 2nd John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. Did you happen to notice all the truth? That's a lot of truth that he put there. Uh, In fact, five times in those four verses, he mentions the word truth. There's so many lies that were being brought into the church during this time by these false teachers, these false prophets. John was concerned that the church would continue on to know the truth, to abide in the truth, to continually walk in the truth. So here's a test for you guys. So you you ready? Hopefully you, you all studied and you're ready to go tonight. Here's the question. If it's anything less than the truth, what is it, church? Yeah, but what if it's like almost the truth and it's just a little bit that's not the truth? What is it? It's a lie. Even if it's a half truth, a partial truth, even if it's, oh, just a shade off of the truth, even if in the midst of that they're holding back a little bit of the truth, what are they? They're lies. The truth has to be the truth, and it can be nothing but the truth. That's why when you go to the court of law, they'll say, do you swear or affirm that you will tell mostly the truth, kind of the truth, and maybe a half-truth once in a while? It's not what they say, is it? Do you swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? When I was doing my little stint at the uh, grand jury, I was the the jury foreman, and so I got to do that with every witness that came in. So I got that down really good. Do you swear or affirm that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? As I looked at these guys, sometimes I thought, hmm, I wonder. But uh, no. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm judgmental, the guy that I am. You know, in, our, in, in every one of our lives, every one of our lives, there's issues that we deal with. And the fact is, is in, in our natural tendency, Okay, our natural tendency. We don't necessarily always want to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so we have to be careful that too often, way too often, we are prone to shade the truth 
just in order to to show ourselves in a better light, to to make ourselves of a better character. I'm not going to tell you the the whole truth about this situation, no, because that would make me look like a real jerk. Um, But I'll tell you a little bit and just, you know, this is what happened. So we, we kind of pull back from that whole truth. When in reality, what was it that Jesus told us about the truth? The truth will what? Set you free. When we are people of the word, people of the kingdom of God, children of God, the truth will set us free. It's not like, oh, but if I, if I told the truth, that would expose me too much. But you know what? In that exposure becomes great freedom. If I told the truth, you would think less of me. Who are you more concerned about thinking less of you? People or God? We need to be people of the truth. Now, we, we talk about that kind of truth, but the thing that John is dealing with here is, is the truth of the doctrine, the truth of the word of God. How desperately the world needs to hear that truth today, the truth of God's word. But instead of hearing the truth, actually, the world by and large is demanding that if we actually are showing tolerance for each other, then we need to withhold, twist, or deny the truth. Because if you speak the truth of the word of God to me, it's going to reveal something in my life that I don't want to have revealed. Or it's going to charge me something in my life that I don't want to change. The world, by and large, doesn't want to hear the truth. The world today says, actually, it says that speaking the truth is actually cruel. Speaking the truth is uncaring. And speaking the truth is that big word, intolerant. And they'll label all who speak the truth as haters, as bigots, as racists. And at at, at best, you're at least uncaring for the feelings of others. Why would you say that? Don't you know that that really brings conviction to him? Well, maybe that's what needs to happen. You know, it, the only time that we hear the supposed truth is that it makes us feel good. I guarantee we are not getting the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because sometimes the truth, man, it cuts like a knife. And it reveals things within our lives. And so John wants to make sure, man, make sure that you're walking in the truth. Guys, listen, if you saw me walking down the street and what little bit of hair I had left was on fire, I, I would want somebody to stop and say, hey, David, your hair is on fire, okay? And, you know, well, I, why are you saying that to me? That's so cruel. <laughs> Making fun of my hair, aren't you? And if I didn't respond to you telling me that my hair is on fire, I would hope that you cared enough about me to knock me down on the ground and pour water all over me. Even if I do get scraped knees and even if I do get wet all over, that's better. I mean, those are small issues concerning the impending destruction that would come if I kept going and I was on fire. And you see, that's where the world is today. Guys, the world is on fire. And all too often, they don't want to hear the truth because the truth will hurt. But you know what? That little bit of hurt helps them to be saved from impending 
destruction. We need to be people who know the truth, who abide in the truth, who continually walk in the truth and continue to declare the truth. John declares here, grace, mercy, and peace will be with them. But in the formation of the words here, it is only as a result of their lives being lived in truth and love. If you're not living in truth and you're not living in love, then grace, mercy, and peace will not be with you. In essence, that's the way the the sentence structure is there. That's why he got so excited when he declared that he had actually seen some of the fellowship demonstrating through their lives, both in word and in action, that they were actually, they were walking in the truth just as we receive commandment from the Father. He says, oh, I rejoiced and greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth, just as we received commandment from the Father. They were following the teachings that they had received from the apostles and from the other teachers. Their lives were apparently a testimony of obedience to the truth, not what was comfortable but to the truth. And apparently it wasn't just in word only during a Sunday meeting, you know, the faithful. And so everybody's got their, you know, their Jesus face on and we're all speaking Christianese to one another and everybody's all smiley and happy and everybody's doing wonderful. No, he says, no, I saw them out walking. I saw them living their lives in the truth. And guys, that's what matters. I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't matter what you do when you walk in these doors. It really doesn't, because the biggest thing that matters is when you walk out of these doors and how we live in a world that's pushing and pressing and and coming against us when we deal with issues of, man, family problems and, and struggles in life, and the world is looking at it. Guys, that's when we need to be walking in the truth. Oh, would to God that all the church would live out our profession in truth by walking in obedience to what we profess. He speaks about grace. You know that, we won't go deep in it. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. It's given to us, though we don't deserve it at all. That's what grace is. Grace is what's been given to us that we don't deserve. That's the blessings of God. Mercy is just kind of like the opposite meaning, is mercy is, is that God has not given us what we deserve. And how many can say amen to that? That again, what we deserve, again, is the judgment of God. But in his love, he's dealt with us in mercy. And then that peace, that word peace, the Greek word irene, the the comfort of God that comes into our lives, even in the midst of chaos that, that sometimes just surrounds us completely. Really, really in true peace isn't the peace that you get when everything's going well and, and you're healthy and you're, you're, you're healthy, wealthy, and good looking. Uh, that's, that's not the peace that he's talking about. The peace that he's talking about is when all the money's gone, when, when your health is, 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 can I say toilet in a church? When your health is in the toilet and, and everything is going bad in your life, and yet there is a peace that passes all understanding. And the world looks at you and says, man, your, your life looks like it's falling apart. But there is a calmness about you that I just don't understand. Guys, that's the peace that only Christ gives. All the rest of it is, is man, that just deals with our circumstances. But when our circumstances come against all that, and we can still have peace, 
Man, that's what we need. That kind of comfort, that kind of peace actually comes when we continue to focus on Him and on Him alone. Pastor David has been studying three letters from the Apostle John here on The Open Word, aptly named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Each one reminds you who Jesus is, why you should follow Him, and how that's accomplished. You can learn from these letters and grow in your faith just the same as the first readers did. And if you're new to the Bible and to Jesus, you can learn all about the man who can save you. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die for your sins. He loves you more than you can comprehend, and He wants you to be free from what's holding you back. If you want to take that next step and begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we support you and we're praying for you. If you still have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a church in your area. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. Here's Pastor David with more information. Thanks, Chris. Yes, I'd love to meet you. So please come join us this weekend for a time of worship and Bible study here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can expect to meet some friendly people and learn more about your Savior. Directions and more info can be found at theopenword.com. Just click on the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. I'm excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Make us more.